Welcome to Bitburst Byte, a weekly podcast about the web design industry, tools and techniques upcoming and in use today. I'm Adam Lustig, a web developer from Northern California and Central Illinois. If you'd like to help support the show, please tap the link in this episode's description if you're using the Anchor application, or visit anchor.fm slash bit-v-byte to become a monthly supporter. Starting off with some news. So WordPress 5.1 Beta 2 was released early this week. So the latest release appears to be on track for a February 21st release. And the latest one will include a couple options. Notably, uh, the so-called white screen of death uh, intercept or error, ability to catch that error before it causes your whole site to go down. So for example, if a plugin causes the error, it won't completely tank your site. Additionally, they're doing some more stuff with the site health feature, which will show issues if you kind of have an older PHP versions. They're really encouraging everyone to get a minimum of PHP 7, and then later on, after this has kind of been out for a while, to up that to PHP 7.2. And as I'll know a little bit later on, PHP 7.3 is already out. So a real you know, drive to try to get everyone up to date, especially since so many hosts are still on 5.6, and that is very old and riddled with security issues so very smart to you know move on and make sure you're up to date plus it is so much faster with the newer versions of php that it is a drastic difference and well worth it so wordpress gutenberg phase two uh, is kind of in progress and so it's a bit of news but a bit of you know kind of up to updates on what's been going on. And so with Gutenberg having been released in WordPress 5.0, they're now trying to kind of move forward with that and work on the refinement of the platform. So this is meant to kind of port all the remaining core WordPress widget blocks into Gutenberg blocks. Additionally, it's an exploration of creating kind of a quote-unquote classic block that lets you use the non-converted ones within, you know, the Gutenberg editor. And they also want to see how to kind of use the customizer uh, with widgets as well. You know, traditionally the widget screen has been its own thing, but as noted by a couple of people, it's a bit tricky because the widget screen is already fully accessible, whereas the customizer is not there yet. So it's kind of been a good debate about where the best spot is. You know, I, I do think it makes sense to ultimately put that within the block editor itself or the customizer, but those are very valid concerns as there are a lot of folks, you know, with accessible needs that use this. So it doesn't make much sense to kind of rush that and, you know, throw it in. So it does remain to be seen what changes will actually occur, you know, especially as this is a larger project meant to take place over the year. Uh, Kirby 3.0 was released, and this is a uh, CMS that I followed a little bit, but has definitely piqued my interest more. And it just got its big 3.0 release, and it's it's an interesting CMS. It can be used as a headless one, you know, if you just want to basically call 
information from it and you can use its back end to kind of manage content. And the content itself is actually backed by flat files and directories. So like you make a page.txt with like markdown in it and it just kind of does its thing. It has a pretty well-designed backend that's developed in Vue.js, and it uses PHP for templating. But again, it can be used headless, so you know you have flexibility. It has plugin options. It has kind of customizable backend in terms of what metadata and kind of things you want to put around your content. Uh, so it's pretty cool. Uh, pretty neat option. Check it out, and it might work for a project of yours. And as I alluded to before, uh, PHP 7.3, and actually 7.3.1 has been released. Somehow I missed it, but you know, 7.3 actually got released back in early December. And 7.3.1 just got released a few days ago, and is primarily security fixes and bug fixes. But the 7.3 release includes a much improved garbage collection, uh, which includes some performance enhancements, even over 7.2. And there are a number of core improvements, such as like flexible here docs and is countable function. You know, personally, I'm looking at it mostly for speed. So I really can't wait to try this one out. Uh, but pretty cool. You know, I, I had been following 7.3 development for a while, but I somehow just missed this release. And pretty neat that it's out and definitely want to have to get on and see how well it works. Moving on to some links and resources. So I saw most of these on the uh, Web Designer Depot, what's new in January, I think, page. Um, it's a great little uh, series to follow, um, but I've already used several of them, so passing them along as I thought they'd be pretty useful. So literally the first three options were the ones that I looked at initially, but they turned out to work pretty well for some needs I had, which are uh, uibundle.com. It's just a great collection of UI resources. It's all bundled into a nice-looking site. So I've been exploring and poking around this and already found a bunch of really great assets and content that I'm looking forward to using in a few sites. Uh, they also have uh, featured this API marketplace. And I'm always looking for more APIs and things you can kind of plug together or glue together, you know, especially since I have such a love of PowerShell and trying to make all these things kind of move together as I want. Uh, but it was a pretty cool site to find. I've located a few of these different aggregated collections over the years. But I really like how this one does searching. And when you go to an API with it, it really does make it easy to see what it offers and how to use it. So it's a pretty good little site for kind of move all that up and look around. Like just doing a search for weather brought up a ton of different APIs. So it's pretty cool. Check it out. And finally, uh, it's a small one, but a super useful one when you need it. Uh, promo.com uh, uh, had a, a tool that they offer called Imagery Sizer, but basically what it is, is you give it an image and it generates a ton of different images for the various social media platforms and like the ideal sizes and the you know aspect ratios and that kind of stuff, what you need. It's really easy and it may get in all those right sizes in one place a heck of a lot easier than doing this individually, which I've done as well before. So it's pretty nice of Promo to kind of make this available as a resource. Uh, and although small, very handy when you need it and can definitely save you a ton of time. And finally, I kind of want to talk about the role of the web developer, especially in the context of small business. 
So it's something I've been thinking about for a little while now, especially with that I've been doing a lot more, you know, like small projects with, um, you know, small businesses that either are trying to fix up their current uh, sites or develop something new. But a bit of a change from the original kind of role that I had, where when I took on a project like this, I would, you know, kind of go through this. They either had a good sense of what, you know, kind of content they wanted or exactly how it, you know, might look, uh, which is fine. You know, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Uh, But what I've started to see kind of moving forward is that a lot of the times my role has become less of a web developer and more of like an overall consultant. And what I mean by that is that not only is it just, you know, how, you know, what, what platform do I put on? How does it look? Um, How does it function? And oftentimes for the small business, it, you don't need a lot out of it. It's mostly an informational page, oftentimes just to have that presence on there. But there are so many different things now to navigate. You know, back in the day, it was really just you threw up a website. Maybe it was WordPress. Maybe it was just straight up HTML. And you didn't have to do a lot more than that. You know, Google might index it, but there wasn't a ton you had to do with it. Social media was nowhere near as big as playing a role in the marketing that it is now. But that's something that a lot of folks have noticed is, well, not only do I have this, but like, what do I do? Do I do social media to some degree? Do I ignore it? Do I, you know, put, you know, all my stuff up on Google to say like, uh, you know, link all the things together. What about Bing? Like, what about the other things? You know, DuckDuckGo, for example, you know, and what, what do you do with these things? You know, for better or for worse, almost everyone just focuses on Google just because they are the, you know, dominant force in this industry. And that has its ups and downs for sure. But, you know, what's interesting is it's become hard to navigate this. And a lot of folks aren't looking even so much as, like, what do I do for a site? Especially because you know, site creation tools have become more prolific and easier to use. So it is still, you know, it's a lower entry to barrier or barrier to entry than it was before. But at the same time, there's a lot of guidance needed. And so that's kind of the role that, you know, I've seen personally, what my web development experience has kind of morphed into more of an almost an advisory role. Like I'll do a lot of the technical work, but at the same time, a lot of the questions being directed at me are like, well, what about this? Do we need this? What about, you know, disclaimers? And what about GDPR? And, you know, does that even apply to me? And what about tracking and privacy and all this, which are great that people are asking these things. It's just a much different landscape than it was before. And so I think that part of the problem is that even with the tools that are evolving, you know, making it easier for a small business to kind of, you know, dig in and make their own stuff and make their own site. There is so much extra stuff on the periphery that can affect and influence not only how your site does, but how you're perceived, that it becomes a bit overwhelming. You know, and I have to admit, even for myself, keeping track of all this stuff, all the things that you might need to know or I have to submit to these 10 different things and then I have to make sure that I'm following all the latest security 
you know, practices, especially the latest, maybe it's behind a flag, but can I take advantage of that? You know, the, all those kind of things where you're trying to stay up to date, trying to keep stuff up to date, but it makes it very difficult because it changes so fast. And that's partly what these companies are looking for, these individuals are looking for, is something to help make sense of all this. So my, my general tact on this is simpler is better. Don't overcomplicate, don't overwork, because one of the things I've noticed is there's this perception that you, know, you kind of have to do all these things, and you really don't. And what, what you really need to focus on is what your customer really wants. And so the first thing I tend to ask folks are, who are your customer? What are they looking for? Because if you know what that is, it'll kind of let you tailor the, the, you know, the content and the focus of your site and even your overall strategy just to that. And so it's partly not just the look at what the site is doing, but also what is your marketing doing? What are you trying to accomplish here? Are you trying to convert people? Or are you just getting a presence out there to make sure that, hey, your phone number and address are somewhere? And sometimes that means there's a full site. Other times it doesn't. Oftentimes it just means you have a minimal web presence that looks nice. You know, you're in the various indexes to be there. Uh, maybe you want to choose to put some articles out, but I often even tell folks that it's not even worth it if you don't have the time to commit to it. If you just put one or two articles out and then nothing for a year, you know, what's the point really? And, you know, the, the main reason, the two main reasons to really kind of maintain or keep up a blog, for example, uh, and I don't even like to think of so much as a blog, but just articles or news or what, what have you, is you're trying to not only keep folks interested coming back to the site to draw them in with, you know, relevant content to what they're looking for, hopefully of some use, but you're trying to drive traffic where, you know, Google and the other search engines are like, oh, even if they don't post a lot, they post consistently and it's high quality. And so I should be looking at this more often, driving it further up in the results. And it's that kind of view, but it doesn't do you much good though if you just do one or two and then disappear. And I've certainly been guilty of this too, just time. You know, I, I did early on had that same idea, but I quickly realized I just don't have the time to do it as much as I'd like to. So it doesn't make much sense for me to devote time to that if it's not going to be a priority. And I say the same thing to small business, which is, look, you, your focus is trying to make sure your business is thriving. If we start with a small site that just makes sure you have the presence, people can find you if they're looking for you, then that's a good start. After that, you can always evolve. And I like, I like the idea of it's constantly being iterated on change. You know, that's good. You don't need a static. It should evolve. It should be living. You know, make changes, tweak things. Stuff changes all the time. You know, try to see what works. And if it doesn't, then move on. Because at a certain point, there's that sunk cost to it. You've already done something. Most likely, making a change won't drastically affect that. I mean, there are cases where that is true. But for the most part, changing some text or buttons or a bit of a layout isn't going to make a huge difference in terms of, you know, ranking or that kind of stuff. But it might make a big difference to folks visiting and using your site. So that's kind of where I, I've tried to steer the small business in my role is really that 
it's an overall consultant on kind of what what should you do? What should your presence and marketing effort be on the web? And I'll get you there in terms of building a small site, you know, if that's what you need, maybe a, just a presence, a foothold. And then later on down the road, when you find more reasons to expand or do more, then we can look at that and kind of see where we go. So it's been an interesting evolution for me to kind of understand all the different variations and, you know, every business is different and has a unique challenge and then kind of try to come up with a framework or a way to present, you know, the problems in such a way where we can solve them. We can really look at your business and try to decide, well, what makes sense for you? So I'd be curious to see how other web developers approach this, if they've kind of seen the same thing. I know that I primarily focus on small business, so I don't see the larger projects usually. Um, and those have a much different sense because they're very focused or much larger scale. But I, I really like working with small business and kind of getting into what really makes sense for them. So I'd like to end there uh, and kind of see what everyone else thinks and what their experience is if you happen to be a web developer and you know what your experience with this is. So follow this podcast on Twitter at bitvbyte and Facebook at slash bitvbyte. Thank you for listening and please join us next week.